the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. This is the landing point for our series on Abraham that has been leading us through Lent for Easter. Through it, it feels like we've covered quite a lot of ground together. We've travelled with Abraham as he's journeyed physically, geographically and spiritually. We've certainly been through the highs and lows of life with him. We've seen God move and act in incredible ways and make an amazing promise to Abraham and through him to his people. And tonight, as you probably guessed from the passage we've read and the title, we are looking beyond Abraham at the legacy left behind by his faith and what God did through him. To do that, I'd like to look at the three legacies which I think this passage highlights. The legacy of the promise, the legacy of fear, and the legacy of faith. Before we dig into those, it's worth saying that if, as we read the passage, it all felt a bit familiar. It felt like it was only a few weeks ago that you had me up here talking about a story strikingly similar to this. You're not wrong. This story about Isaac bears a huge resemblance to events we've already unpicked in the life of Abraham. And we'll have a look at why I think that might be as we go along. So let's turn our attention to legacies. Although it will take a lot of my willpower not to sing any Hamilton songs at any point. I will try and restrain myself, I promise. So firstly, and probably most obviously, the legacy of the promise. The start of this passage is a word-for-word reiteration of the promise that God made to Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. In this, God is clear that everything he has said will happen still The covenant he made with Abraham is still in effect. In fact, Isaac is the first fruits, the first confirmation of this covenant. As Abraham and Sarah's son, he is the beginning of these countless descendants. Isaac is the child of the promise. The legacy of the promise is, I think, not only important in itself, but also in the continuity of two of the circumstances and situations around it. Just as when God first made the promise, it seems an unlikely, almost impossible one to see happen. Then it was because of childlessness. Now in a time of famine, The same promise is made. 
in a time when survival was unbelievably hard. Countless descendants and international blessing is still possible. The God who can act beyond what we believe possible is still acting here because it is the same God who made the promise this time. The legacy of the promise is possible only because it is the very same God who said to Abraham and to Isaac, I will be with you and I will bless you. In these very early days of the story of God and his people, we see the unfolding of a growing and changing relationship between the God of the promise and the people of the promise. And this brief appearance of Isaac center stage highlights this. Isaac is the child of the promise. Yet he only briefly appears centre stage in the Bible. We don't get anywhere near as much time with Isaac as we do with Abraham and with Isaac's children and grandchildren. But what it puts front and centre is that it is relationship with God that matters. In the legacy of the promise and all that provides and means, it is the legacy of enduring relationship with God that is crucial. It's interesting that in the same moment as receiving the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac is also to be found reopening the wells dug by his father. And we'll come on to those more in a little while. What we see here is that father and son have passed on a legacy of a deep relationship with God. But sandwiched between two incredibly positive and life-giving legacies in this passage, we have the opposite end of the spectrum. Verses 7 to 11 might have been where your sense of deja vu was at its strongest. A few weeks ago, we heard about Abraham leaving the land where he was and heading towards Egypt to seek food in a time of famine. Then pretending that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister, for fear of what would happen to him. Change out the names for those of Isaac and Rebekah instead of Abraham and Sarah. And we have exactly the same story here in Genesis 26, where we see Isaac walking in the footsteps of his father, blow for blow. His actions are governed by fear for himself and not by faith in the God who he has seen is faithful to his promises. I think it's interesting that this is the only section of this passage where there is no mention of Abraham, of wells, or even of God. There is no mention of the just reiterated incredible promise 
nor of the life-giving wells that will become central. Rather, it would seem that there is a legacy of mistakes, of fear and of failure here. And it makes me wonder something, and wonder is all that we can do with this part. It makes me wonder, was the strikingly similar story of Abraham and Sarah one that Isaac knew? Had he been told it and told it until it was ingrained in the way he so clearly had with the promise and with the names of the world? I kind of think not. Because surely that would have rung alarm bells. Surely he would have gone, hang on, no, I know what happens here. No, I need to stop. I've heard this story before and I know how it ends. So I'm going to adjust my behaviour accordingly. Surely, if this was a story that Isaac knew, he would not have walked exactly the same way that Abraham had before him. Surely, if Isaac had known this story, we would not have this repeat account in Genesis 26. Surely, if Isaac had known this story, he would have acted differently. It's much easier to tell the stories of where we have been obedient to God, where we have seen him act, than it is to tell the stories of where we have got it wrong. It would have been much easier for Abraham to tell the stories of when he met with God powerfully, when he heard God speak than when he walked in completely the wrong direction. It's much easier to speak of a legacy of promises and of faith, of successes and mountaintop moments, than it is to talk about the legacy of dark valleys and of our own mistakes. But they are equally valuable. To prevent a legacy of repeated mistakes. To prevent a legacy of fear and failure. We have to be willing to be vulnerable and honest. Are we telling the stories of where things have gone wrong as part of our stories of faith? Are we leaving a legacy of learning from our own mistakes and allowing others to learn from them too? Or are we brushing them under the carpet and fleeing from them? Leaving only a legacy of fear. We started by looking at the legacy of the promise in this passage. And the finishing words to the reiteration of that promise point us to another legacy. God states that it is because Abraham obeyed me 
and did everything I required of him. It is the same promise made by the same God, but the belief of it is also Abraham's legacy of faith. And we can see that legacy of faith if we chart our way through the many, many wells that are to come. In many ways, it feels like the title to this passage should be, Why So Many Wells? Or Wells, Wells everywhere. Why? Wells were hugely significant at the time, practically, strategically, spiritually. They provided life-giving water. In a time of famine, they were utterly crucial to survival. Digging them was hard labour that required faith, that unseen, below the surface, was a source of fresh water. It was a difficult task, a dangerous task and a highly rewarding task. But wells are about far more than just water. They were a symbol of a thriving community, a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of God's faithfulness. And here we have a contentious story of wells during a time of famine, where God commands Isaac to remain in the land of his father and dig for water. And the land will be blessed because of the promises made. More than that, I think if we pick apart the stories of these many, many wells, they leave us with a pattern and a picture for the legacy of Abraham's faith. There is a progression in which Isaac reopens the wells of his father tries to dig new ones and has to leave them behind, and then strikes water of his own. So let's have a look at that progression together. Firstly, in redigging the wells of his father, which the Philistines had filled with earth after Abraham's death, in renaming them with the names that Abraham had given them, Isaac is showing the direct legacy of his father's faith. He is regaining access to the physical water, but also to the spiritual relationship which they represent. But Isaac and his wells don't stop there. He begins to dig his own wells in the valley of Gerar. These become a source of conflict and contention. And he has to leave them behind, giving up their source of water. In a time of famine, he is having to leave wells of fresh water behind and trust that there will be more to come. And he can only do that because of the legacy of faith and the relationship with God he has. 
finally he gets his own well and declares it a sign that his people will flourish. Surely there is a direct line he is drawing here between the promise of countless descendants and his wells of springing fresh water. This passage finishes with the final well. How else would you finish this one? And I only recently noticed something. The servants come and tell Isaac about this well. We found water. Not every well that they had dug had yielded water. But this one had. This is the representation of the legacy of faith. They had dug in countless places before and not always found water, but they had kept going until they did. Here they have found water. Here they have found that the God who Abraham had been faithful to was still faithful. The journey of Isaac and his many wells seems to map out his journey with God. From built on the legacy of his father's faith, to faith tested, to faith found. I wonder whether within our own lives we can identify the wells we have inherited from those who went before us. The wells we are or need to be redigging, the wells we need to leave behind, even in a time of famine, the wells we are called to dig for ourselves again and again until we dig one that strikes water. I think there is one final part to the legacy of faith. And that is what Abimelech witnesses. He says, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. From afar, he and his advisers have been watching Isaac and the people of God. And they have seen something distinctive and something different. In living in the legacy of faith and in living in relationship with God, Something has been different about them. What God was doing, the present actions and the legacy of the past were evident to those around God's people. Is that true today? Despite their hostility, they were still watching what was going to happen. There is a legacy of Abraham's faith here for them too, as they watch the people of God living in relationship with God. Despite what people may say, despite the hostility they may exhibit, they are still watching what we are doing and how God is acting in and through us. It's easy to overlook but this is an equally important part of the legacy we inherit. 
the legacy we live in and the legacy that we will hand on in re-digging, in leaving behind and in digging our own wells, we are pointing to the God of blessing and the God of promise. To the God who causes Isaac to reap a harvest of a hundredfold in a year of famine. The legacies of the promise of turning from fear and of faith are all about the God who is with Abraham and with Isaac in all of this. Our legacies of the promise of turning from fear and of faith need to be about the God who is still with us. That very nearly wraps up our time with Abraham and the book of Genesis as we journey towards Easter. Abraham has been prepared, sustained and challenged along the way. At times he has followed God with unbelievable faith. And at others he has gone spectacularly wrong. Isaac lived in the legacy of promises, fear and faith. And following in those footsteps, he struck physical and spiritual water. As we go into Holy Week, as we prepare for Easter, where are we being prepared, sustained and challenged? Are we following God closely and faithfully? Or are there areas where, if we're honest, we're getting it spectacularly wrong. As we draw closer to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, as we acknowledge that we have access to living water that sustains, are we digging wells to find it?